you kept rolling along one way or another and yeah uh, uh, came back with to the max which um had some more classic tracks i mean uh love's train another one of my all-time favorite ballads yeah. incredible uh ain't nobody baby miss got the body another great album yeah we had um we were still fighting at at that point you know um and we wound up recording that album with in two separate studios michael and i were recording in one studio where we recorded um ever love missed out the body love's train you said ain't nobody baby yeah uh, yeah those were recorded in the studio where, where michael and i were and everything else was recorded in in the other studio where the other five guys were i mean um, you know we exchanged studios if i was needed to go sing something on, on the other stuff or or, or, or whatever but it that, that was interesting michael and i offered to produce the entire album for i think we said um 70 or seventy-five thousand dollars. you know because the plan was to you know do like we normally do cut all the demos at the house so that you know when we walked into the studio you, we weren't guessing on what we we're going to be doing um but we got turned down um uh michael uh i think we said seventy five thousand dollars and michael was going to take five thousand i was going to take five thousand and again offer to do the whole album for a toss and if it went over we'd pay for the difference ourselves right um but we got turned down um someone later said it was because the group didn't like the idea of michael and myself getting an extra five thousand dollars so no we'll just go in and everybody just 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 produce it so the album wound up costing us 113 um, and again, all where and where all the singles came from the, the Miss Got the Body, um, Love Strain. Although Love Strain was never a single, it was never a single. Uh, the record company asked us initially, okay, well, it's time to put out a single. What do you guys want? And we all said, uh, uh, the, the record company said, uh, Miss Got the Body or Love Strain. What do you want to be the first single? We all said, love strain. Rick said, okay, great. Miss got the body, it is. <laughs> I miss got the body. Uh, love strain, uh, pretty well known story. That I didn't like love strain when, when it was first written. I wrote the music and I had a whole other set of lyrics to it. And when Michael played love, the initial lyrics for love strain, I was like, man, come on, man. I'm not feeling this at all. And I actually started to even withdraw my music from it and the guys talked me to man come on you, 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 you can't hear this you know I, and i honestly honestly could not hear it it actually could several weeks for me to say yeah it's it's better, <laughs> it's better. just rubbed you the, something about it rubbed you the wrong way yeah yeah it was um i, I think i'd gotten too attached to um what i had written and his uh his approach to it was from a very personal thing that was happening 
that happened with him. And I, I, I just wasn't, I just wasn't feeling it. You know. But they talked me into it. it worked, worked out great. Yeah, it became a, a concert staple and a radio yep. staple. Pretty much. And, uh, fever, fever came next, um, and baby, I'm hooked. Oh man, Sonny Van Ross. I can't wait to talk about him. Sonny and Cedric wrote um, Baby I'm Hooked, right? Um, and I don't know who wrote what. I'm I'm pretty sure that Sonny wrote the lyrics and came up with the melody. Sonny, Sonny was one of those singers and kind of like Luther Vandross in the sense that he was one of those singers that he could just open his mouth and good stuff just fall out. You know, he was always on pitch and, you know, just just an amazing, amazing singer. He, he really was, right? And since we were, um, we had hired Emir Diodato, we were hoping to get to capitalize on Kuma Gang's success uh, on this record. So we got tracked down Emir Diodato. So he was behind the helm on this. But we did demos uh, again. And so when we cut the demo for, um, for this song, so, so the idea was for us to cut the tracks in the Bay Area and then go to New York to record with Dado after we cut the and he was gonna produce the vocals and stuff and, and, and do the final mixing and stuff up, up in New York, right? So, you know, we cut the track, you know, everyone loved the track and we need to do a, a a reference vocal. So Sonny, who, who who you know, since he wrote the parts and did the original demo, he goes and he sings, and this was one of these first take, a literally a perfect vocal, and he finished singing, and everyone's looking at me, felt, well, I guess you don't need to sing this. It sounds amazing. I'm like, no, 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 no. I need to sing this one. No, 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 no need. Let's not waste the money. Sonny just sang it, and it sounds fine. <laughs> I gotta say this, right? So when we went to New York, I think I spent the entire while 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 uh, Amir Deodato was working with Michael on vocals on another song. I spent the entire day with my Sony Walkman listening to the song, and I learned the song exactly as Sunny Second. I mean, every breath every nuance, every single lick that he did, I even copied his pronunciation of the words, right? So just to share with your listeners, when you hear Baby I'm Hooked, that is me doing an imitation of somebody else. So that then once I went in and did the vocals, I presented it back to the function. See, <laughs> they're like, oh, okay. I guess you can go ahead and sing it then. Yeah, so I thought of that. <laughs> That was, that, was, that was my big memory about, about, about that one. I I'll, I'll almost wound up not being able to sing that one. Wow, interesting. interesting. Did, did you feel like you had um, good chemistry with uh, Diodato? Yeah. 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 <clears throat> I, I'm, I'm going to say different from, from Skip. You know, um, Diodato was meticulous, you know. Um, and from all the stuff that he'd been doing with, with Kuna Gang, he had a very specific way that he liked do, doing stuff. And so it was, um, I would say he is more of a, more, more of a taskmaster. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that in any way negative, 
but he was very strict and you know, no, 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 no. This, this, this is how I want it, you know, and, and kind of guy. Um, yeah, I'm not saying that he wasn't allowing creativity, but but he was very specific. How he, you know, yeah, I guess he was figuring his name is going to be attached to this. It better, it better, it better sound good, right? Um, again, a, a whole other learning experience with, with, with him. Would love the chance to work, work with him again. I got to point out, Felton, that I really liked the indiscreet suite on that one. I thought that was probably the, my favorite up-tempo up track on that one. Right, right. Um, again, Michael coming into his uh, his own. Michael, my, I I was always into the technology part of, of getting this stuff done, right? You know, and and, and sequencers and and drum machines. I was the one who 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 brought in the concept of doing a drum machine with the band out. Uh, uh, Leon, Leon Silvers. I was watching how Leon Silvers was making a whole dynasty over there at Solar Records using a Oberheim DMX drum machine. Literally with dynasty, yeah. Uh, uh, right, right, right. He was he was just killing folks over there, and that that drum machine for several albums was the sound of of the record. Um, um, Climax, uh, uh, the Minol Pause, DMX, you know, the DMX drum machine. I spent twenty nine hundred dollars and bought one, and I started using, you know, for, for for my demos and stuff. And I was like, "Yeah, we need to be using some recordings." And I and the group was like, way against using a drum machine on 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 records. Lewis told me, and I quote, "Felton, man, drum machines, man, that's a temporary fad that will never catch on because." <laughs> Because songs are supposed to naturally speed up at the end. I said, oh, well, guess what? You can program the drum machine to speed up at the end. No, we're not going to have a drum machine on the record. <laughs> <laughs> we're not having a drum machine on the record. That, that's that. You know. Like anything, it's all how you use it. Yep, yep absolutely. Absolutely. So the next record uh, was your last one with Confunction at that time, right? Um, Electric Lady? Right. Yeah, yeah. So um, that actually, there was a bit of a break from Fever to that one a couple of years, and then you, you came back with uh, that record. And yeah. Maurice uh, Starr uh, producing, Larry Smith, and kind of going for a bit of a, a, a techno funk uh, yeah. feel. Yeah, so much for not using drum machines on the record, right? <laughs> that was big time, yeah. Right. Larry Smith from uh, from uh, Houdini and uh, stuff like that. Yeah, he came in and he brought some tracks. Um, I never had a chance, got the chance to meet him in person, but that was that was all about working via sending the tracks here, do the vocal, and 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 I love the fact that he just trusted. For instance, on the song uh, um, "Why You Do Me Like That," oh baby, what you he he. he he said, I want Felton to say it, and he just trusted what I did and, and, and did, just used it. I, 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 I was flattered and honored. Maurice Starr, oh, oh my God, he was like resident genius. Um, he was really hot at that time. Um, and, and hot. Um, we were working at the record plant or in, in Sausalito, and Riss is not supposed to be there till 12, but I always knew that he showed up early at the studio. And then I found out why. He'd be there at 9 o'clock writing stuff for his other acts. 
And Maurice was one of these guys who just programmed a drum, uh, a drum, programmed the drummer sheet. He's hearing the entire song in his head. He would just let, he would literally just lay down the tracks from the drum machine and then start laying down the parts straight to 24 track tape, hearing the whole song in his head. And the same way that I guess they did with New Edition and, and New Kids on the Block, right? And it was mind boggling sitting there watching him do this, watching him, you know, watching him make this happen, you know. Um, and he even wrote a song for us to do, right? And the group turned it down, uh, saying that I had too many songs to sing on the record and I was singing, I had enough songs. I was like, dude, take take one of those others off. This this song will hit. Nah, we'll, we'll, we'll just stick with the ones. And Maurice was like, okay, no, it's cool. I'm not offended. I'll just give it to one of, one of my other acts. The song was Please Don't Go Girl. As recorded by New Kids on the Block. <laughs> My man, man, I heard, it. I heard that on the radio. I was like, man, man no! <laughs> I was supposed to be ours. You know, anyway. The one that got away. Seriously, yeah. And and I and of course the electric lady our 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 first uh, venture into into rap you know and Michael um, you know we 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 toured with that as a matter of fact uh, Sonny Van Ross uh, I came out on, on the road with us you know to I, I, I wouldn't let him sing Baby I'm hooked, but 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 he's <laughs> he sang he sang some of the, uh, uh, some of the other producers used him on. The other some of the other stuff that was on on the record, Sonny up period did did guest vocals. I what yeah, I wouldn't go let him sing me. I'm hooked. I let him sing other stuff, you know. Um, it was an interesting tour, you know. Uh, our our one and only venture in, 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 in into rap. You know, we weren't we weren't feeling the rap thing at 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 that time. You know. Um, They had this very serious musician mentality and rap. No, it's not. It's 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 not real music. Forgive me. You know, hold on. Let me let me set this up. Okay, that won't happen again. My apologies, sir. Um, yeah, we had this very serious musician mentality of rap. No, it's not real music. And as a matter of fact, I you know I was saying I'll give it another two three years and it'll be gone. <laughs> All right. How wrong could I be? Yeah, I had a girlfriend back then. I was, you know, listening to Run DMC and L Cool J and all that stuff that was coming up, and and she was like, "No, it's a fad, man. It's gonna be gone in two years." <laughs> right, right. Hey, so uh, Felton, so the you know there was issues going on with the band, and things I guess were coming to a head in terms of like, you know, things weren't gelling like they once did, and 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 you exited for before the next album but it's still amazing that the band had such continuity in its members for as long as it did and also that it was able to stay on one label mercury for so long mm -hmm. there's very few bands that had that kind of continuity of personnel and also their recording environment you know what do you attribute that to um Uh, without without sounding like I'm patting myself on the back, I think 
the combination of the songs that Michael and I were writing and the combination of what we were bringing to the table vocally as the two of us was one of the, were, were two of the big, two of the big things, right? Um, and I'm gonna go back to Earth, Wind and Fire and say, okay, well, yeah, you could have an album where Philip Bailey is not singing. You could have an album where Maurice is why he's not singing, but it's not gonna, it's, it's, it's not gonna be the same, you know? And once I left, in my mind, one of, one of the two important sounds of the confunction sound was gone, mm -hmm. right? In addition to that, in my humble opinion, on, on the Confunction 10, Burning Love LP, no one in Confunction wrote anything on that record. No one in Confunction played anything on that record. Mm -hmm. The only person who performed on that record vocally was Michael. And they brought in Melvin Carter, good friend of mine, to be the other voice And don't get me wrong, Melvin was another one of those amazing singers that he could just open up his mouth and good stuff would just fall out just, just because, right? It just wasn't the same thing. Good example, LTD, when um, Jeffrey Osborne left, right? They replaced him with the lead singer of New Birth, Leslie, I can't remember what Leslie's last name is. No doubt that Leslie is an amazing singer, right? But it just didn't sound like LTD. Right. You know, so, you know, it just, and in this case, two of the key elements. So, so the, the record company dropped them after, after that label just because it, it, the, the confunction sound was no longer there. And, and, and I think, and I've been to all about that the sound, the confunction sound is that combination of, of Michael and, and myself. And uh, someone described it as Michael adding funk to my laid backness and me rounding off his harsh edges. <laughs> you know. What, why did you leave the Felton? Was there a straw that kind of broke the, the back? Uh, it came down to a physical altercation. Um, we were having a discussion about publishing um, and the group had said that I had offered my publishing on the song in order to have it on, on the record. I don't remember having that conversation and I was pretty adamant about, well, well no, the record company had already picked the song to go on the record. I'm, no, I'm, there's a reason why I should give you guys publishing. Um, and one of the group members physically attacked me in the studio um, I do need to say that on the assumption that he was that he that I was wrong and that he was right, we're talking about what might have wound up being two or three hundred dollars in his pocket. Okay, so dude, we've made hundreds of thousands of dollars over the last 10 years, and you're gonna attack me over a couple of hundred dollars. No, wait a minute. If if I'm wrong, you're gonna attack me over a couple of hundred dollars. And I, I could have taken the position of, look, either he goes or I go. But he, he actually was literally there before me. So I said, gentlemen, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just move on. And um, I bought a bunch of recording equipment and um, 
opened up my recording studio and just took off from there. Yeah, I'm sure it couldn't have been an easy decision, though. But I, I'm sure it was a mix of relief and also just. I, I was, know. I was, I was. I mean, I, I mean, he, uh, he, he, he attacked me in the studio. So I mean, I got up. It was, it was an instantaneous decision that took less than thirty seconds to make. Mm -hmm. You know, like, and so I made the decision. I did come back and say, "Look, we were actually about to start recording." The next album, I said, look, gentlemen, I'll stay long enough to help finish the album. Right? Um, the Confunction 10 album, the Burning Love, I will, I will stay long to do that. And I actually did vocals on a couple of songs. Then I said, okay, I'm, I'm done. Wish you guys well. And they took my vocal parts off and, you know, replaced it with, with Melvin. And, and, and then they moved on. So it was, you know, moved on. You know, time to move on. Yeah. I, I tried to get a solo deal with a polygram. Um, they didn't want me as a solo artist. <laughs> anyway, uh, which actually another one of those things that worked out well, because had I had where I gonna had I actually wound up pursuing um, the solo career, I never would have met Stanley Burrell. Um, so I'm recording in the studio, doing stuff, and I get introduced to this guy named Stanley Burrell, who was doing Christian-flavored rap uh, and, and called himself the Holy Ghost Boy. Um, we wound up doing a 10-song demo. It was a demo in my mind. Uh, we had a couple of conversations about his name. I'm like, dude, that's, that's, yeah, I feel where you're coming from. That name is probably not going to work out for you. Uh, but I gave him some rough mixes, sent him on his way. A couple of years later, he calls back, Felton, the record went gold. What record? So the record we did. I'm like, no, that was, dude, that was a demo and some rough mixes. You were supposed to come back and let me fix it up. But no, man, we're, record companies like it just like it is. Wrote me a check for $2 million. Oh, yeah, my new name is MC Hammer. <laughs> yeah, so I can stop right there because, you know, I'm sure there's some folks who are watching who maybe are still not even aware of the role you played with MC Hammer and, and that whole part of your career. So, I mean, that's amazing, you know, that you went on to have that kind of success right after Confunction. And, and of course, a lot bigger things were yet to come with Hammer. Yeah, it was, um, and I'm still laughing about the fact that I was still stuck in, yeah, I give rap music another you know, another year or two before this just dies out completely. I, man, I didn't even like rap music. I didn't. I was like, you know, but from a producer point of view, I'm like, let me set aside my personal whatever and just get in here to do it. It can, it can, it can be done. And, and and my whole thing with, with, with Hammer was to turn what he brought me into something I felt comfortable listening to. <laughs> really, honestly, that was, that was my whole thing with him was to, Turn what he brought me into something I felt comfortable listening to, and and it, it worked worked wonderfully. That between working with him and my then assistant engineer, his name is James Early. Uh, I, I I'd met him uh, like a year or two before, and I kind of took him under my wing. And he wanted to be the apprentice at my studio. I said, "Well, tell you what, dude. Here's what I'll do. I'll uh, you know I'm I I leave studio at ten o'clock every night. I'll hand you the key." I'll see you. I'll see you in the morning. And here's here's all the manuals for all the equipment. See you in the morning. 
James came in there and he was like cutting tracks. I mean, James was, you know, writing songs. I mean, he learned, learned my whole studio to the point where I would trust him with my recording sessions and he was writing tracks. I mean, James co-wrote some of the tracks on uh, Hammer's first album, you know, uh, uh, let's, let's get it started, uh, uh, Feel My Power CD. Uh, James actually worked with me on the Plammer Please Don't Hurt Please Don't Hurt Him CD, and he and I did all, uh, all the tracks for that. The Hammer Hammer uh, Hammer wound up hiring me, and then we brought him along. So we had the combination of James and Felton working on all the tracks on that. Um, James left, and I wound up doing Too Legit all by myself. But it was it was an interesting part of my life, as in um, doing something I was not used. to not at all used to doing, but um, the team won't, you know. How, how surprised were you that it hit as big as it did? Yeah, yeah. I, like I said, when I first sent him on his way, I'm like, no, this ain't going nowhere. I will never hear from him again. You know, he might sell five, 10,000 copies, sell out the trunk of his car. <laughs> what, a half a record is gold, really? <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, but it, yeah, it, it, it was fun, you know, especially under, under the conditions that we had to record in. I had a 16-track studio, reel-to-reel. -reel. I didn't have Pro Tools and all like that. So this was all, all, all both of uh, the first two albums I did with Hammer were, were, were cut on a 16-track, half-inch reel-to-reel. Um, and uh, Hammer, Please Don't Hurt Him was actually recorded on a tour bus. Um, That's one of the best-selling records of all time, right? Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. Certified at 50 million. Two years ago, certified 50 million copies. I'm like, wow. But, but he, he was a tremendously hard worker, right? Oh, yes. Yeah, he was a um, serious taskmaster, you know, uh, outside the studio, uh, personally involved with, you know, the choreography and making sure that everything was 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 right for the stage show because I was also his music director on stage, right? Um, seriously hard worker. I mean, you know, a, a prolific songwriter. And it was interesting that interesting how we'd work. You know, I remember a couple of times that he'd bring me some lyrics, and I'd write music to the lyrics, and he'd hear my track and say, "Oh, I got another idea," and write another set of lyrics to the new track he wrote. Then I'm hearing his new lyrics go, ooh, I got a new idea for those lyrics. Write, write another track for those. So, yeah, yeah interesting, excuse me, interesting dynamic there. Um, uh, very, very creative, you know, full of ideas and stuff. And it was, it was, it was, it was, it was in studio, good working team. Really, really. Who, who, whose idea was it to sample Super Freak? His. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, his idea. Oh, by the way, that's not a sample. That's me playing on it. That's, that's me playing on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't, we didn't sample the record. We just replayed all the parts. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, yeah, yeah, we didn't use any, any samples on the record. Whenever, you know, whenever we did parts of someone else's songs, we replayed them. Between James and I, we just, just re, re, replayed all the parts. That made a difference, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So shift forward a number of years, you finally got your solo record out eventually. 
<laughs> what was that experience like? No, okay, well, I filed for bankruptcy because I spent all my money trying to chase down the money that I didn't get collect from Hammer. I, I had I sued him for the $5.8 million that he owed me, and I won, and he filed for bankruptcy. I remember after, that. After, yeah. after I won, right? It, and, so I was broke, man. I had I had a little eight-track machine, and I recorded more than half that album just sitting in my apartment in uh, Los Angeles. I moved had to move to Los Angeles, and I recorded more than half that album as a. I guess it was kind of therapy for me, you know. Um, you know, I'm, I I I had uh, rejoined back with Confunction, but it was like between 93 and 96, there was a slow process of getting it back up to where it was before. Cause you know, we, had, we hadn't been on the scene because Michael had his solo career starting in 1986, 87. So he had been gone for a while um, and no one's sock and function performing from 87 to 93. So what, you know, we disappeared, right? So the process of getting us back up to I'll say where 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 we are now. It was taking a while, and you know, I I had run out of money, and and part of that album of doing that album was more therapy for me. You know, that was you know, I'm like, you know, I could have had five million dollars. You know? um, about kind of a message to myself about what I still can or can't do. Uh, I was so happy that that it came out, given the what I'm going to call limitations of what I had. I had less to work with than what I had with with Hammer. Um, uh, I had moved to LA, and one of the the producers that worked in my studio, I, I called myself loaning him my entire studio equipment. I said, "Look, I don't need it right now. I'll just take a set up, and I'll, I'll I'll get it from you later." He made off with my entire recording studio. I never heard from him again. Can oh, I get wow. a hold of him? You know, so I lost 90% of my studio, and all I had left was a little eight digital eight-track recorder. And again, I recorded more than half of my album on on that. And uh, fortunately, the record company liked it enough to uh, pick me up as a solo artist. And that was it. It was good. It, it 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 wasn't it wasn't a huge seller, but emotionally speaking, and and for and for my fans, the, the, those who bought it, it was very very satisfying. It really was. It sounds like it was a catharsis uh, along with yeah the whole process. But so when Confunction got back together and did those gigs in the in the nineties, I know uh, Live Record came out in ninety six, I think. Um, was it the Sinbad uh, festivals that got you guys back together, or did you just do it on your own? No, uh, a guy had been talking to Michael about doing a, a confunction reunion, and Michael reached out to me and said, "Hey, man, we've, we've got one gig as a confunction reunion. Can you come to it?" Well, yeah, that sounds good. This was and this, uh, at the Oakland Auditorium. This was supposed to be for one gig in 1993. Um, so we had uh, myself and Michael, and we had Maceo, the sax player, and Carl, 
Um, now this is what I remember. I also remember hearing that Cedric, our bass player, had just gotten a gig with Microsoft up in Oregon. So I kind of answered the question for him. I was like, I couldn't see having a conversation. Okay, um, thank you for hiring me, Microsoft. I now have to go take off for a month and go do a rehearsal with the band to go do one concert. I, I didn't see that conversation happening. So, <laughs> so we just hired another bass player. Um, Danny Thomas, we had heard, um, was already off doing Danny Thomas's Confunction Review or Confunction Thinking Danny Thomas. And we decided, well, let's just let him go on and do, do that. No, no, no sense in putting out that. Um, Lewis, the drummer, was part of the reason why I quit in the first place. Well, it was the reason why I quit in the first place, so I just wasn't going there. So, so we wound up hiring a new drummer, keyboard player, bass player. Um, worked out fine, you know. Um, the keyboard player that we currently have now, uh, his name is Kirk Casey Clayton. He's from Memphis, Tennessee. He was music director for Barcays. Also works with uh, Kirk Casey Clayton. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, Howard Hewitt. Excuse me, um, Sherelle. I mean, very talented guy, and and we're blessed to be working with some absolutely wonderful musicians currently. And here's what impressed me about him: he was we had another keyboard player named Brian Carter who now works for um, uh, you know the Pro Avid Pro Tools, right? Um, so Casey was brought in to replace him. Um, we never had a rehearsal with him. Never, never rehearsed. He walked up to me, he asked me two questions. He asked me about the transition, two chords about baby I'm hooked. I told him that. And what was the second what was the second chord in Let Me Put Love in Your Mind? I told him that. That was our only conversation. We did the concert. I forgot he was back there. Dude was like on it. And he played everything exactly perfect. And then, you know, just just amazing, you know. It's like you with uh, Rufus Thomas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, when Maceo decided to quit, we wound up getting this uh, guy I'd worked with uh, named uh, Ron Motown, who uh, at this point is, uh, and I say it on stage at, uh, at night, but he's honestly probably bad saxophone player. I, I know, seriously. Um, and then uh, our, our bassist, uh, Eric E.Q. Uh, Young, um, been with us for like 21 years and is, you know, he's, he's I would say he's, a, he's an essential part of the, of the Confunction show. He has his own segment where he does this uh, bass solo thing, paying tribute to the Ohio players, blah, blah, blah. You know, the whole, the whole famous bass, the whole thing of famous bass lines. He has a whole eight-minute segment to himself, and he's killing it every night. So you know, it's just I, I'm I'm very very happy with Confunction 2.0. You know, well, when when did uh, you get back together in that um, lineup? Because you know you had the comeback record came out I think in 2015. Um, so were you guys playing before that, or did you start oh. playing again as a result of that, or? No, we've been playing since 1993. We've oh, oh, consistently, consistently starting okay. in 1993 and just growing up until then. We we've, we've not stopped. It's been okay. 
gotcha. you know, we, got, we did that one gig, then someone's heard about that, and they called us for something else. And then someone else heard about that, and it just became a snowball effect uh, up, up, up to now. It's been, it's been going steadily. So then, what brought about uh, a new record? You know, and and why did it take so long, and that kind of stuff. Um, we had to find someone who still believed in an old school group being able to sell some records. There's that's sometimes very, 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 very confusing, right? Um, the fact that we are the eight. Record companies seem to take the position of, of, well, you guys are old, so no one's going to buy the record, based on the fact that you're old. And it doesn't matter that a lot of these new acts now have based their sound on you. That doesn't matter, <laughs> right? The fact is that you're older, and if, and if, and if we're going to spend some money, we'd rather spend it on someone younger. That seems to be the position of, of the record companies now, you know, um, from a business point of view, if they're going to sign someone up for a seven year record contract, let me exaggerate. I'm sure they'd like to have someone that they feel is going to be alive for another seven, for seven years. And at my age, hell yeah, I might not be around for another seven years. Okay. But that doesn't mean I can't still write good material. You know, I, 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 I'm, I'm thinking I'm still pretty consistent with that, you know. Um, and and some and some folk, oh, what, was that? what was the name of the group? Uh, Low-Key, remember Low-Key? I got a thing for you, baby? No. Okay, there's a group called Low-Key. They had a, a single I called I Got a Thing For You, and they recorded it as a tribute to Confunction. I heard the record on the radio. I was like, I called Michael. Michael, you son of a bitch! And recorded another record. He said, "Man, that's not me." <laughs> how, how long ago? How long ago was that? Oh, this was oh, ten, ten years ago. We call we call low key. It's called the song called "I Got I Got a Thing for You." It sounds like a confunction song, hmm. and the, and they wrote it that way. And and I talked to the guys. No apologies. That that was their that was their entire that was their entire intention intention. But yeah, so it took that long for us to find a record company that wasn't scared of a more mature group doing another record. You know, it's it's not that way in jazz. I mean, you know, uh, people still embrace the older, the the old, the old, both the old and the new. But in R and B, I yeah, R and B is really rough for that. I mean, it's just uh, not fair. Yeah, but the record's done well. Yeah, yeah. Um, Really, really good response. Um, and uh, yeah, people, people, yeah, it, it's not gonna go. I, I, there's not gonna be no chance of ever going gold, but but relatively speaking, it has done better than I've heard. Uh, recently, that 95% of all records re currently released sell less than 10,000 copies. That's that's a interesting number. But we've done better than that, <laughs> you know. So um, we're excited, and it gives hope. And and you know, we're already recording material for another one. Yeah, so, uh, that's good to hear. Yeah. Did you play much of the uh, new record in in the shows? No, we did uh, two of the songs. 
two of the songs we did uh uh two of the singles we did uh your night and uh and and more than love oh no no i think of it uh 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 we used to do another one i'm sorry i forgot the name of that one um one of the other songs so we, yeah yeah we we did just three of them and they were you know well received you know it's kind of unusual for an audience to like a record after only having only heard the first time we, we played on stage you know hmm. uh, and we played it on stage before the record was released and there were people asking about it the next time we saw them months later. Yeah. That's what you want. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I haven't gotten to see, you know, the current uh, lineup of the group, uh, but I've seen videos and you guys are still definitely on it, you know, and you're Thank you. cr crisp and sound great. And the old tracks still have the fire. Um, and you guys are just still very entertaining. Well, thank you. Thank you. We're, uh, um, it's for me. It's, it's it's still exciting. It's still fun. And 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 when I'm on stage, I don't. I turned sixty five last November. All right. I've got six kids, thirteen grandkids. Wow. And I'm a great grandfather. Congratulations. I get on stage. I feel like I'm twenty five years old. <laughs> you know. So I'm. I'm still having that kind of fun and that and that kind of interview. So I think, I think everyone feels that way. Yeah. I got to ask you this, though. If you guys do another record. Do you think you might put a track or two on there that's maybe a little funkier? <laughs> we'll try. I, uh, I have one. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll send you a copy. It's a song I'm working on now called We're Still Here. You know, that's uh, that, that, that's the edge of the song. But yeah, I, 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 I think it might fit in that category here. It's still funky. Don't forget the funk. You know, the, the, the older generation still likes it. I mean, you don't got to worry about that. Yeah. Uh, Felton, with all that you've been through, that's why I ask you like one or two more questions and let you go. I really appreciate your time. Um, what advice would you have for young musicians or any of your kids or grandkids going into music? And what, what do you advise them if they are? Or no one, none of my kids are going into music. Uh, but I get asked this question often. And, and my advice for people going to this, um, starting with, obviously, you, you want to perfect your craft, whatever your craft is. You know, if you're a songwriter, you know, Study the people who are making lots and lots and lots of money doing songwriting and do what they do, you know. Um, or as I've had to tell some people, look, if it's not in that song, not in their song, you might, want, might, might not want to put it in yours. And it's called a music business for a reason. There's a very specific reason why it's called the music business, you know. Um, and businesses have to run by a specific set of rules. And it's important that you follow the rules, adhere to the rules, be aware of the rules. And one of the rules of business is, you know, that you want to do whatever's going to bring in the most money. So which brings us to the idea of just because someone has told you no, it doesn't mean that you're not talented. It could be as simple as, well, that's not what we're looking for at this time. You know, don't don't let the fact that someone has told you no say, 
oh no, I'm I'm sorry. No, that's <laughs> that's not the case. Um, given the fact that I have more technology in my phone than they ever had at Motown, all the old Motown stuff was cut on eight tracks. The Beatles stuff was cut on four tracks. I've told some people, look, you got an iPhone, you have no, you had an iPhone, you have no excuse. GarageBand costs five dollars on an iPhone. Create. Hello, create. Put put on your headphones, record your tracks, do what you need to do. You have no excuse not to be creative. So, uh, yeah. and you might not get paid, but you can throw it up on the internet and get exposure. Hello, right, right. Yeah, there's, there's there's no reason at this point not to do it. Well, I'd like to give you this opportunity before we uh, close to you know just say any message you might want to say to the fans who have followed Confunction all this all this time and continue to to follow the band and uh, what message would you give? It's um it's a big thank you. Music has been my only source of income since 1972. And of course, could not have done that with all of the people that have, uh, of course, supported Confunction as a whole, that have supported me um, as, as, as an individual, as a solo artist, or me individually as, as, as a producer. Um, I've had a very, very blessed life, and it's thanks to all of you guys, you know, the people who have bought our records or, and listened to us and came to our concerts. So it's, it's a humble, a humble thank you so much. Appreciate every. Last one, you. Thank you. What, what's your very personal favorite track? Oh man, that's yeah, like saying one. which one of my kids is my favorite kids. Um, for different reasons, I can listen to Indian Summer Love over and over and over again and not get tired of it. Um, that's one of my favorites. Um, I would have to say that Got To Be Enough is my favorite up-tempo song. Um, I'd honestly have to say that By Your Side is my favorite mid-tempo song. Um, and Let Me Put Love On Your Mind is my favorite ballad. So right. I, 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 I am that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, Felton, it's been a blast. Uh, thank you so much for coming on Truth and Rhythm and for spending so much time and Telling all those great stories, and uh, you know, so glad that you're keeping on, keeping on, and keep doing it. You know, I hope you guys can come out to the Carolinas one of these days. Yeah, um, and uh, you know, uh, I advise everyone out there watching definitely uh, go see them when they're in your town. Yes, please. Uh, 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 our schedule is on confunctionusa.com. Um, my personal website is feltonpilot.com. Um, so yeah, you can keep you can keep track of. Uh, working function is going to be. Uh, well, thank you so much again, Felton. It's been a uh, Thank you, man. Okay. Well, I don't think we left many stones unturned in the confunction story, did we? I certainly learned some new things along the way, and I enjoyed it immensely, and I hope you did too. What an amazing legacy of fantastic music for which we all owe the utmost gratitude to Mr. Felton Pilot Michael Cooper, and the rest of the band. I want to personally thank Felton for sharing so generously with Truth and Rhythm. 
With that, it's time to bring this episode to a close. As always, a sincere thank you to you, our viewers, and also listeners. Be sure to look out for upcoming Truth and Rhythm episodes and catch up with previous installments at FunkinStuff.net on YouTube, iTunes, and other leading providers. Very important, please subscribe to the Funkin' Stuff channel in which Truth and Rhythm resides. We need that support. Show these artists and, and the music and their legacies and all this great material that you've enjoyed for so many years. Come out and share your support by subscribing. Much appreciated. Lastly, want to hear from you. Send me an email. Write to scottg at funkinstuff.net. Let me know what you like about the show, what maybe you'd like to see changed, if anything. And very importantly, who else you want to see on the program? Getting a lot of feedback, and it's really adding to the whole experience. So this is a two-way thing. The show's for you. So continue to help make it the show for you. And with that, time to close it up. As always, this is Scott, Dr. GX Goldfine, saying keep on vibrating to the rhythm of the one.